0: I invite you to open your Bibles with me, please, to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. And before we begin to consider what the Lord has for us this morning, let's have a word of prayer together. Our Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here together today. And we just ask, Lord, that you would open your word and enable us to understand what you have for us and help us in the power of the Holy Spirit of God to apply these truths to our lives today and in the days ahead. We pray for our kids as they have Children's Church now. We ask your rich blessing on them. And we pray for those who are not with us today and just ask that you would really bless them and and encourage them and keep them safe. And Lord, we do, again, rejoice and thank you so very much for how we have seen those within our church family step up and serve. And we thank you for how you're blessing and how you're working and for all that you have done and for all that you will do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Philippians chapter 2. We have been considering together the overall topic of turning toward joy, discovering a joy that circumstances cannot change, and we have defined biblical joy as the settled conviction that God sovereignly controls the events of life for the believer's good and for His glory. We have looked together at the joy of community from Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. The joy of adversity from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. The joy of integrity from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. The joy of unity from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The joy of responsibility from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And uh, two weeks ago, we began to consider together, and we'll wrap it up today, the joy of ministry from Philippians chapter 2 verses 17 through 30. And I'd like to read those verses for us at this time. Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 17. Paul is writing to the believers in Philippi and he says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way, and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I am no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. We began to consider together two weeks ago in Philippians 2, verses 17 through 30, how Paul introduces three solid role models for us to emulate. We noted two weeks ago, Paul himself is an example of selflessness, and Paul also presents his spiritual son Timothy, as an example of service. And finally, Paul presents Epaphroditus as an example of suffering. Two weeks ago, we noted again Paul, the model of selflessness. We noted that he was selfless in the discipline of his own life. He was selfless in discipling Timothy. He was selfless in dealing with the Philippians. And he was selfless in determining God's will. And we concluded by looking at Philippians 1:21 and Philippians 2:21 where Paul writes for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain and in contrast how unlike Timothy they all seek after their own interests not those of Christ Jesus. So this morning we pick it up and we're going to look at Timothy as a model of service. Paul probably met Timothy on his first missionary journey. And then when Paul was ready to embark on his second missionary journey, he took Timothy along with him. And he refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. And here in Philippians chapter 2, Paul presents Timothy as a model of willing service to his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And we see Timothy as a model of service. And first of all, he served in his concern for others. And we saw that in verse 20 as we read it. Timothy was genuinely concerned for the spiritual welfare of the Philippian believers. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in verse 20, where again he says, I am no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned. For your welfare. Paul knew that Timothy really cared about the Philippian believers. And you know, it is a given that the Philippian believers would have known that as well. As they observed Timothy, they knew that he really cared for them and that he had great, genuine concern for them. And also, Timothy, he served in his consecration to the Lord. And again, in contrast to others that Paul had worked with and knew, he says, they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And that's where Timothy was different. While others Paul knew and with whom he had served were busy putting themselves and their own desires and their own interests and ambitions first, Timothy was different. Timothy was set apart from the rest. He was not involved in ministry for what he could get out of it. He was involved in ministry because he deeply loved the Lord, and he deeply loved those with whom he served, and he deeply loved those that he was serving. Timothy was a great example. He was a giver, not a taker. He was selfless, not selfish. He was committed and consecrated and dedicated to the Lord, and he served. And we also read how Timothy served in his commitment to the gospel. Again, verses 20 through 22. We won't read 20 or 21 again, but verse 22. You know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving with his father. Timothy stands with Paul in the line of those who considered themselves and behaved as bond slaves of Jesus Christ. One of the best books I've read over the last 5 years is a book entitled Slave. That's that's the name of the book. And it it approaches the whole topic of being a slave of Jesus Christ from the biblical perspective. And when we think of the fact that we have the privilege of not only being a servant, and not only being a child of God, but the privilege of being a slave of Jesus Christ, where we give up our desires, our ambitions, our goals, our thoughts, everything that we could go after. We see how Jesus Christ was a slave to his father, and how he was a slave to the will of his father. And then how we see Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, these men who were bond slaves of Jesus Christ. They gave up everything that they would go after out of selfish ambition. And they gave up all their rights and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. They were committed to giving their lives to the proclamation of the gospel. Now Dwight Pentecost, he's a gentleman, uh, he's a professor at, or has been a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Many, many years ago, uh, we met him in Spain. He came over to speak and, and to hold a, a week of series, a conference, and a very godly man with very good teaching, and he describes in one of his books the problem of being indifferent or obsessed with our own agenda, as it can occur today. He writes this. There are saints to be taught. No one cares. There are wounded hearts to be bound up. No one cares. There are adults to be reached for Christ. No one cares. There are children to be taught and trained and guided in the things of the Lord. And no one cares. Why? Too busy, too preoccupied with their own business. No one cares. Timothy cared. And in his concern for others and in his consecration to the Lord and in his commitment to the gospel, Timothy served. Now, Timothy's commitment to Jesus Christ was lived out in his commitment to others and in his commitment to the gospel. And we seek the good of Christ. Think about this. We think we, we seek the good of Christ by seeking the good of his people and by seeking the good of the proclamation of his gospel to those who do not yet know him. And how this, really, these characteristics should also be true of our life as well. One of, one of the passages in the Old Testament that has impacted me probably more than, than many other passages in the Old Testament is a true story that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and you don't need to turn there. I'll just recap it for you. The city of Samaria is under siege and it has been under siege for quite some time. I feel like I'm really far away from you this morning. And uh, in in the in the story, the true story. We find that the the situation in Samaria was so bad that people were starving to death, and people resorted to cannibalism. Uh, people were were eating children, and and other people, and it was just a it was just a horrible 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 situation. And it was getting worse. Well, the Bible tells us that outside the city of Samaria, there were four lepers. And when I was a kid, I always, whenever I heard that, I'm seeing animals with spots, and, and you know what lepers are, but you're, a child, when, you're talk, when you talk to your kids about lepers, they might not understand that. You might want to explain it, because I didn't. For many, many years, I'm thinking leopards. What do leopards have to do with this? But there were four lepers outside the city. And you know, they heard the screams. They heard the cries of the people within Samaria. And they, too, were starving. The lepers were starving. And they talked together, and they decided, well, you know, if we stay here, we're going to die of starvation. We cannot get into the city because those people are starving too. And you know what they decided? Let's go to the camp of the enemy. The the enemy that was sieging the city. They said, let's go to them. The worst that can happen is they'll kill us. We're going to die anyway. So let's go to the camp of the enemy. And maybe, just maybe, they'll have some mercy on us and and throw us some food, like a dog. Well, what they did not know was during the night, God had sent a sound like a rushing army to those who were sieging the city. And so when the lepers walked into the camp of the enemy, there's nobody there. And there's food all over the place. And literally, they, the Bible says they went from tent to tent, and they just gorged themselves, went to another tent and gorged themselves. Then they said this: "Hey, this isn't right. This is a day of good news. And we're holding our peace. Well, think of that. They went to Samaria, the city, and said, hey, all the food you could ever want is in the encampment of the enemy. They're gone. All the food you could ever want. The people of Samaria were saved. Why? Why? Because the lepers had good news. And they shared it. Now, I know every one of you seated here this morning sees the application of that. Right? And man, we, could, we can miss our mission. We can miss our mission. Now, we, we have the privilege of being a part of of a beautiful church family. We come here, we love each other, and, and we have a great time with hospitality. And man, that stuff was good this morning. Those of you who weren't here, man, you missed some good Mexican food. And then you missed some really good cinnamon rolls. You know, I don't know what the, the, the significance of this is, but Lawrence provided the salty stuff, and Tammy provided the sweet stuff. But that was good. Very good. But you know, we had a great time. Just fellowshipping in there. Then we came to Sunday school and looked into the Word of God together. The kids were in Sunday school. Just, just a great time. Together. And now we're in the Word here, and we're trust, I trust, we I pray, we're feasting on the Word. And it's having an impact in our lives. Now the next step. Hmm. This is a day of good news. And we're holding our peace. See the application? Now we're not here just to get more people into Seneca. I'm not talking about that. We're we're here to get people be used by God to direct people to the kingdom of God through faith in Christ. And if God blesses and prospers and and enables Seneca to grow, that's great too. But you know, it's a day of good news. Let's not miss our mission. Let's not hold our peace. And you might think, well, I, I, I don't have a mission field. Oh, yes, you do. God puts you in your mission field every day. You don't have to be a pastor to have a mission field. Just stop for a moment. Right now, just stop and think. Where do you go during the week? Is there a a place you'd like to go and get breakfast, maybe, or a place you'd like to go and get lunch, uh, or a place you'd like to go and grab a bite to eat every once in a while? That's your mission field. Where do you work? That's your mission field. Where do you shop? That's your mission field. God has given all of us a mission field. And your mission field is where God has placed you. And he might, you, might be in the on, you might be the only one in that place who's a missionary. Because everyone in this world is either a potential missionary or a potential mission field. Does that make sense? We either know Christ or we need to know him. And so let's not be as the lepers were initially and just enjoy the blessings of God. It's good to enjoy the blessings of God. But let's remember we have a mission field. We have good news. And we're not We're not being obedient when we hold our peace. Is that fair enough? So let's let's really take heart from this. This is a, a passage that for years has challenged my heart. That I will be true to sharing the good news. And you know, we never ever know what God's going to do. We don't. And we may not know for years. Can I share a personal thing with you? Actually, this was not part of my message because it just happened today. It happened today. Went to the mailbox here at the church, and a letter must have come yesterday. And, and on the outside, it was just written, my name, this address, and it came from Rochester, New York. I'm thinking, well, who, who would be writing from Rochester, New York? Well, we picked up mail, and we're coming over to park, and Hope said, Len, can I open it? I said, sure. It was per- addressed to me. I said, sure. Open it up, <clears throat> and here it's a kid. Who He was actually born when we were in Seneca, right, Hope? He was born when we were in Seneca. And before we left Seneca, he was a Luke. And he was a Harry. And he was a Seth. And he was a Carter. And that might have been about it when we left Seneca. Now, he's in college, getting ready to go on a missions trip to China for a year. Well, I'm telling you, and the, the comparison stop here, so don't, please don't lead anything, read anything more into what I'm about to say. I was just talking before about ages, okay? This kid was a pistol. I'm telling you, I never would have thought anything was penetrating him, ever. Do you know what he wrote? He sent this newsletter, and then on the bottom, he writes, Pastor Len, you're the one that helped me begin this process. Thank you for your teaching. Wow. We just never know, do we? We never know. But we're missionaries and we have a mission field. Think of the people you have contact with every day. That's your mission field. And yes, it starts at home, too. That's where it needs to start. If you have a privilege of being married, it starts with your marriage. If you have the privilege of having children, it flows over into your children. If you have the privilege of having extended family, it flows over to your extended family. So our mission field isn't just always to unsaved, it's to our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And I would venture to say all of us, In our extended families probably have some who definitely need Christ. And so we have that privilege. I've really taken too much time on that, but I think it was important. So we see Timothy, and he's the model of service. And now let's look briefly at Epaphroditus, who is the model of suffering. Epaphroditus was a very respected member of the Church of Philippi. The believers at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to Rome to take a gift to Paul, who was imprisoned, and to be with him as long as he could during his imprisonment, and to be a help and a support and a comfort to him. Now, while Epaphroditus was in Rome, he became very, very sick and nearly died. And the believers in Philippi heard about that, and and they just had tremendous... Uh, they, they really suffered because of what they heard had happened to Epaphroditus. They they were so far away from him. They loved him. They cared about him. And they heard he almost died. And, and they were very anxious for him. Well, Paul decided to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi so that the believers would be able to see he was okay. And it was actually Epaphroditus who carries this letter back, this book of Philippians, we call it, is actually Paul's letter to the Philippian believers, and Epaphroditus, when Paul sends him back so that the believers can see he's okay, Paul gives Epaphroditus this letter and says, take this, take this to the believers in Philippi. And Epaphroditus did that. He used the occasion to instruct them to welcome Epaphroditus and acknowledge his sacrificial ministry. The sacrificial ministry he had extended to Paul, and that they in Philippi were also so very aware of. Now, apart from these verses, we would virtually well, we wouldn't we wouldn't know anything about Epaphroditus. It's the only place we read about him, right here. And yet, these verses are are huge commentary on the life of Epaphroditus. He was the model of suffering. First of all, he suffered in his service to Paul. And to the Philippians, Paul described Epaphroditus as your messenger and minister to my need. And Paul says how Epaphroditus risked his life for Paul. Now, during the time in which Paul lived and the Philippians lived, uh, in the language of the common people, when he used that phrase, risking his life, it, it has to do with the idea of gambling or betting. And there were those who risked their lives for the cause of Christ, and they were called parabolani, the riskers. And so Epaphroditus was known as a risker. He was the one that laid it all on the line. For Christ. And Paul knew that. The Philippian believers knew that. Here is Epaphroditus. He is a risker. He is a parabolani. He is one who lays it on the line for Jesus Christ and for the people of Jesus Christ. So Epaphroditus suffered in his service to Paul. He also suffered in his sympathy toward others. Now, when Epaphroditus heard that the Philippian believers were worrying about him, he was distressed. He wasn't the kind of guy that thought, Oh, wow, Hmm. that's pretty good, man. Those people really love me. They're worrying about me. I like that. I like that they're thinking about me. No. He heard that the, the Philippian believers were so worried about him and so anxious for him he became distressed for them. Thinking, oh, these people that I love so much, they're worried about me. They're concerned for me. They need to see me so that they know I'm okay. Paul sends him off. And the people are able to see him. So here's a, a great model of suffering. He suffered in his service to Paul. He suffered in his sympathy toward others. I have a book. I, I actually received this book, I don't know, five years ago or so. It's uh, called Extreme Devotion. This is actually uh, written and printed by the Voice of the Martyrs. Maybe you've heard about them on a Christian radio. Uh, but they tell true stories of people who love Christ, and the suffering that they experience because of their faith. I'd like to read one uh, segment in here. It's called Extreme Missionary. And this uh, is a true story that took place in Pakistan. And it has to do with two young ladies named Salima and Rahila. And I'll just read segments of it. If you promise to carry your cross, it will be a life full of thorns, mountains, and difficulties, the Pakistani teenager said in a firm voice. Salima, a Christian who lives in Muslim-dominated Pakistan, shared her faith with a schoolmate, Rahila, who later accepted Christ. Rahila's incensed family charged Salima with converting a Muslim, a charge that can carry the death penalty in Pakistan. Salima and her pastor were arrested and her parents were questioned and beaten by police. Salima was abused while in police custody, but she would not deny her faith. In fact, she softly sang Christian songs in jail, hoping to draw others to Christ. Rahila fled her home, but her family hunted her down. When they offered her a final chance to recant her faith and return to Mohammed, she refused. For her crime, her own family executed Rahila. Salima went through lengthy court hearings. Rahila's family blamed her for their daughter's death. Eventually, the charges were dropped. But Salima's life will never be the same. She was forced to move to another part of Pakistan for fear of radical Muslims killing her. Yet the thorns, mountains, and difficulties have not dimmed her faith. In fact, she is preparing to serve as a missionary. She says, no matter how big the mountain Jesus will help overcome. Missionaries are often mischaracterized as a sort of special forces, a unique troop in God's army of faith which acts on our behalf. The truth is, every believer is called to be a missionary. Some of God's most valuable work may take place around a kitchen table having coffee. In a next-door neighbor's house, The heart of our mission remains the same wherever our mission may take us. We are bound to share the love of Christ. For some, sharing their faith with their closest friends would be a personal feat of heroic proportions. For others, a variety of cultural contexts will form their mission field. The measure of our mission is not what is important. It is our motivation that counts. To what extreme are we willing to go to share the good news of Christ? When some people share their faith, it means at least persecution could mean death. And we really have, yeah, maybe some sorts of persecution with people talking about us or making fun of us or whatever the case might be. But in comparison to other peoples, we have a wide open door. Let's not miss our mission. Let's not miss it. Today is a day of good news. Let's not hold our peace. We see here, and I just wrap up very quickly with this, uh, three descriptions of Epaphroditus. And Paul refers to him as his brother, his fellow worker, and fellow soldier. And, you know, as we, as we think about our relationship to each other, We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're fellow workers. We're fellow soldiers. Because we are in a battle. The battle here in the States is a little more subtle than in other areas, but it is nevertheless spiritual warfare that we are involved in. So we really need to be aware of and follow the examples of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. I'm going to conclude with this illustration. You may recall when we started this uh, a couple weeks ago, we read about Eric Liddell and uh, chariots of fire and how he was imprisoned and had a great testimony in prison and really impacted a little boy named David Mitchell. I conclude with this. David Mitchell... The little boy who was imprisoned with Eric Liddell saw the same quality in his hero. That is, the same qualities that we see in Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. He wrote, What was his secret? He unreservedly committed his life to Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. That friendship meant everything to him. By the flickering light of a peanut oil lamp, early each morning... He and a roommate in the men's cramped dormitory studied the Bible and talked with God for an hour. As a Christian, Eric Liddell's desire was to know God more deeply and as a missionary, to make him known more fully. I pray that that's our desire. To know God more deeply and to make Christ known more fully. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the examples of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, and more recently of Eric Liddell and of others that have impacted our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would be models of selflessness, models of service, models of suffering, that we would be totally committed to you and not miss our mission. Lord, may our desire be to know you more fully every day. And may it be our desire to make Christ more fully known every day. We pray in his name. Amen.